Will you turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 19? Psalm 19. I'm going to do this in two parts. So there are 14 verses in Psalm 19. And we're talking about God is communicating. How does God communicate with men? And we're going to see at the beginning, it's going to talk through creation, that God communicates to men through what he has made. And then starting in verse 7 that we'll look at next week, he communicates to men through his word that will always be always be the same, that will never, never uh, pass away. And then at the very end, the last two verses is a tag of what is it that man is then to respond? How is, how is man to respond back to God uh, knowing that, then they, that, uh, that he has communicated to them, right? So this is God's word. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them has he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Every day, I stand in front of kids and tell them about how the world works. It's absolutely amazing, and I tremble at the idea that I just want to go all the way and tell them that the whole world works because of what God has done, that God has shown himself to be God through what he has done, that you can marvel at it. And it really doesn't matter how much that you look or how deeply you look. Wherever you look, you're going to see that whatever it is is so marvelous that the creator of that must even be more marvelous. What you see here is David as a teenager sitting in the dark on a hillside, leaning back on his arms, looking at the stars. And he is, instead of looking straight at the stars, he looks through the stars at the maker of the stars. And he immediately ascribes power and glory to God and says, 
the heavens, the sky, the stars, everything I'm looking at is telling me that God is glorious. And that is amazing because the other people during that same time, 3,000 years ago, they would look at the same stars, but they would not see God's glory. They would see stars that were glorious, and they would worship those stars. They would worship the sun and the moon and, and the weather and the volcanoes. They would, they would worship the things that God has made because they had turned their back on God and only looked at what he was made, and it's still just as glorious to look at what God has made truly to look at with any true eyes is just to be flabbergasted. So I start off when I start teaching the kids their science classes. I just talk about stuff. I mean, if God were only a maker of stuff and nothing more, just things, it is so dazzling what he has made that, that we would owe him all of our allegiance just for the things that he has made. So you think about there's 118 different types of matter, all the elements on the periodic table of elements. They're all different. Some of them are heavier. Some of them are lighter. Some of them are yellow. Some of them are red. Some of them are poisonous. Some of them are gases. Some of them are solids. You can dig them out of the ground with a shovel or extract them through a chemical reaction somehow. You can, you can mine gold out of the hills, and you could take ore out of, the, out of rock and turn it into something you could sell. You could turn those things into medicines. You could turn those things into an iPhone and sell them for $1,000 if someone would buy it. I'm sure there would be somebody to buy it. All of the things that he made is amazing. And then when you look at just the things that are there, now explaining them is even amazing. You would have to say any two items that you have in the world are going to exert a force of gravity on each other. I, I can actually take a sheet of paper and after 15 minutes of hard math, I can figure out how much gravity your left shoe is pulling on your right shoe. And there's actually a non-zero number that that shoe is pulling on the other shoe with a certain amount. It's not going to be enough to move your shoes under your bed. That's probably what you think, that someone stole them. But it's just a matter that there is something that's not just stuff, but there is the way that that stuff is made, that even that is dazzling. So when you, when you had Aristotle 3,000 years ago say, oh, well, it's, if a rock falls off of a, a mountain and hits the ground, it's because that rock is heading down to where it actually belongs. It belongs low because it's heavy, and low things below, heavy things blow low. And so it's going to move down. And then later Galileo said, no, it has nothing to do with its weight. It doesn't matter whether it's something little or something heavy. It's going to fall at the same rate. And then Isaac Newton later says, ah, yes, they do fall at the travel at the, at the same rate because every gram of mass is going to exert a force on every other gram of mass. And then Einstein later comes and says, yeah, that's right, except that really what's happening is that the space around that mass is actually bending, and that's what's making it attract. So every smart person builds on top of every other smart person, and in that background of all the smart people, God's like, yeah, and it's just a something. It's just a rock. And then if you take that rock and you put it under a microscope, you'll realize that all those rocks are made out of minerals, and every mineral has a different crystal structure. And it's diamonds and rubies and gems. And the dirt under your feet is absolutely breathtaking if you were to look at it. And that you could make 
you can make buildings out of it, and some things are waterproof, and some are not. And, so, and then you, you go deep enough underground, and all of the material starts melting. Ten miles under our feet, everything is sloshy and hot and squishy and flowing. And there are diamonds the size of school buses and the size of your house that are so completely normal that they wouldn't be worth a cent if they were on the surface. If all the diamonds that are, that are five miles under your feet were up here, they wouldn't be worth anything. There would be diamonds, so many diamonds. Because God makes things that nobody sees, and he's the only one that gets glory from it. God receives glory from school bus-sized diamonds that we'll never dig out of the ground. That's amazing. Then, and that's just the, that's just the rocks, that's just the dirt. Then you realize that you've got 100 miles of air above this planet and that that air is, is moving because some parts of the earth are heated more than other parts because the earth isn't flat. If it were flat, the sun would shine it on, on all equally and it would all be the same. But because it's a circle, because it's a sphere, because it's spinning on nothing, it's hanging in nothing and God has kept it there and will keep it there until he's done with it. And it sits there in nothing. And that hundred miles of gas is moving and flowing because the sun is shining unequally on a circle. Because some gets direct light and some gets oblique light. And some you'll end up with a slight trace of a wind or a breeze. And then you have a hurricane. And the hurricane, I've seen pictures of a kitchen chair stabbed into the side of a garage door and all four legs completely stuck into that garage door because that 200-mile-an-hour wind picked up that chair and slung it into the, into the middle of the house. But, so you think, wow, that's amazing. The power that's just in wind that's moving, air that's circulating, it's just powerful. Then you have the fact that it's not just air moving, but you've got water in that air. And then all of a sudden you've got sticky day or you've got pouring rain or you've got a tsunami that will over completely inundate a, a, a town. You've got raging waves in the ocean that bellows and boils. But yet the psalmist said that God says, go here to the beach and go no further. This is the limit of your power. You, you mouth the ocean because the ocean gives God glory. The churling water gives God glory. And the fact that you can freeze it into ice and it can completely cover a continent or you can melt it in, into steam and it absolutely makes your life miserable in July. That's all of this gives God glory. And for t it would take every person in the world would have to be a PhD and still we would not know enough about what it is that God has done. It, every single thing that God has done is worth studying Everything, there's always something behind it. There's always the next Einstein that will explain it a little bit better and a little bit weirder, that everybody's not sure where, where he's coming from. There's always that next person that says, we've missed the whole boat. It's way bigger than this. It's all connected. Suddenly there's a theory for everything. Everything is connected into one big theory. That is an amazing thing because the mind of God is what a scientist is truly trying to figure out. Everything else is just details. It's the mind of God that's showing the glory of God. Because God is glorious. But God is not just alone and glorious. 
in some ways, he's allowing us to know that he's glorious. And one of the ways that he does that is through how he made. Then you put all those rocks together, and suddenly you've got a cathedral a hundred feet underground that no one's ever visited that's got, that's got pipe organ-looking walls because of the, just the fact that there's acid in the rainwater and it dissolves limestone and makes caverns. And then you have sinkholes that you have to mow around. I don't know if you have sinkholes like I do. You have to mow, mow around them. When you, get, when you get into the things that he has made, you're even more dazzled. There's 8.7 million different species of living things. Millions of different types of critters that God completely owns. Some are similar in some ways, and some are completely wonky in other ways that you can't even imagine. And every one of those uh, creatures give God glory. In the morning, the birds are all giving God glory and keeping us awake. That's just the way it works. It's only men that refuse to give God glory. Everything else in God's creation gives God glory. Have you ever had a little baby grab his entire hand around your tiny finger and then you realize that that baby's going to grow up and, and play basketball for the Knicks. And you're like, how in the world could that tiny little baby that already has bones and already has a brain and already is looking up at me with some idea of that, that I'm somebody different than he is, that will eventually become something else, that, that a bone growing is going to undo itself and do itself and undo itself and do itself until it grows six foot three. All of this gives glory to God. And when you, when you look, when David was looking back at just the stars, he immediately had it right. Because if these are glorious, then the maker of these things, how glorious must he be? You don't stop at what God did. You don't stop at the, at the gifts that God gave us and not realize that the giver of those gifts are stronger and more powerful than those gifts themselves. And people will chase the gifts all of their life with no idea that what you really want, what your heart is truly wanting, is to know the God who made you. And, and that is how, why we were made. We were made to adore our maker. And that is, that is what your heart wants. That's what it wants. When you have it, you're at rest. You're at peace. And you truly can live for the first time. Because to, to truly know what God has done is to look for the God of order. The poor people who would sacrifice people to volcanoes and to the wind and to the hurricanes because they, everything was chaos in their life. The ocean was chaos in their life. But to know that you truly have a God of order behind all of that means that you're looking for God that you can depend upon the God who never changes. There is a rest in the people of God that you do not have in other places. You don't have a rest when everything in your life is happenstance and and coincidence. You have rest when you recognize that this God is communicating to men. And he's communicating that he's dazzling. That he's dazzling. So in this psalm of David, the first six verses are talking about creation. And how that God communicates to men through his creation. And that he wants to be made known. He's a, he's a revelator. God reveals himself. 
that he intends to reveal himself, that he is glorified. The more we know who he is, the more glorified that he actually is. There is his own glory is worth his proclamation, and he's proclaiming them through what we look at. So going back to Psalm 19, in the first verse, this is what David writes. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Now, handiwork it means like a craft work. It's what your hand does. Handiwork is what you do with your hands. So God, all of the things that I just touched on, the things that you could go for, for years studying in, in, in detail, that just everything about everything, it was just the work of his hands, work of his fingers. It wasn't the work of his strong arm. The work of his strong arm, David also writes, is the salvation of his people. That's what cost him some effort. Making everything that there is was the work of his hands. When at the beginning in Genesis, it just says, and the work of his fingers were the stars, and he made the stars also, was the verse. That's it. And he made the stars also. That's it. There's nothing more told about it. It's the work of his, of his small hand, not his strong arm. So this is from Psalm 8. This is also David, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Interesting that your glory is above the heavens. The, the, the glory of the heavens isn't it. The glory of the heavens is just a sign that points to the real glory, and that's your glory. You set your glory above the heavens. When I consider the hands, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? and the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. You see, when I think that you are so powerful that the, the work of your effortless fingers creates planets and star systems, then I look and say, why would you consider me? I can't even make a planet. I can't make a star system. I can't do anything really at all. I can't do anything approximating you. But your glory is beyond these things. These things are just pointers of your glory. So David has it right. David has a heart after God's heart. Do you see it? That's why God, that, that's why God was pleased to show him as king. Because it is similar to Christ's heart, that God was always everything to Jesus. That I only do the will of my Father in heaven. Those things, I don't do my own will, I only do his. That, that David was dazzled with God himself and was begging that he would know God himself. And everything else were simply indicators of just how awesome that God, God was. I had to go to the book of Job. Because at the, book, at the end of the book of Job, after Job suffered so much, he is continuously wanting to have his day in court. He wants to basically tell God that he's upset, that he's mad, that he feels like he's been abused. And what God does in, when he finally confronts Job is basically say, are you my peer, Job? Are we equals? If you are equal to me, then you could simply say, I have these things against you, and I, you could say them. And then I could say, well, I have these things against you, and I could say them, and then there would be equity. But you're not my equal. 
And this is how he does it. So starting, this is verse, um, this is Job, let's say 34. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? This is 38.4. Declare if thou hast understanding. Whereupon the foundations of the earth fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Who shut up the sea with its doors and break forth? Who had issued it out of the womb? When I made the cloud the garment thereof and a thick darkness of swaddling band for it. And I break it up from my decreed place and set the bars of the doors and said, Hitherto shall you come and no further. That's what I alluded to a minute ago. And here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Has you entered in the springs of the sea? Or have you walked the search of the depths? Have you perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare if you know it. Where is the way of the light dwelleth? As for darkness, where is its place? That you should take it to the bound thereof and that thou shalt know the pass to the house thereof. Have you entered into the treasures of the snow? Have you seen the treasures of the hail? By what way is, it, is light parted that it scattereth the east wind upon the earth? Who has divided a watercourse to the overflowing of the waters or a way for lightning or thunder to cause to rain on the earth where no man is? Do you see it? Where no man is. God makes things that we don't even know about. He has treasures that only he knows about. We are so human-centric that we think everything is for us, that God is for us, that all things are for us. That's not true. We're not the center of the universe. We're not the center of God's mind. God is the center of God's mind. God's glory is the center of God's will, and he will share that with us because of his love and kindness. But we have this idea that it's all about us, and God says no. I know all of these things. I did all of them. You're not my equal. You, in fact, if you were to even think about it, do you understand the way light works? Do you understand where the wind comes from? Do you understand? And he goes on and on and on and on and on. And 4,000 years later, you, you could convene a conference at Harvard and have every smarty pants in the whole world come and, and join. And you could go down this list and say, do you know anything at all? about where light comes from or how it works. And you'd have 50 people say, yes, I know, I've written books on that. And he goes, great. Do you know it in its completion? And they'd have to say no. Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know this? You have to say that we don't make, we don't decide for ourselves. God has left us these crumbs to pick up. It's his delight that we have a mind. He gave us the mind. He gave us curiosity. I think it's wonderful when you're curious about something and you want to know something and you explore it and you keep figuring it out until you figure it out. I think it's wonderful. God is glorified because you're doing what you were made to do. You were made to think. You were made to, to have dominion over this earth. So that means you know what you can sell. You know what you can do. And, and it's amazing that, that God is not in any way stolen from when you know how awesome his creation is. He's, he's glorified from it. So when you say that, that, that David said, it's through the heavens that it declares your glory, there, there's only 2,000 or so stars on the darkest, darkest, darkest night. You go to Pocahontas County where there's no gas stations and there's nothing but, but open sky, and you can see about 2,000 stars. Okay? We live in such a dark place that we'd have no idea that other people in the world don't have what we have. We look up into the sky and we can see stars. 
Other people look up in the sky and they can't. We had two Chinese girls that came to our house uh, from, from the college and we made dinner for them on Fridays. And we were having a cookout in the backyard and we had a fire and we were looking up at the stars and they had never seen stars in their whole life. And one girl said, I thought I saw a star once and I said, Dad, look, a star. And he said, no, honey, that's an airplane. They had never seen a star in their whole life because the smallest town in China has 11 million people in it, and it was so much light pollution and, and pollution that you couldn't see at all. And they were looking, and they just couldn't believe that you could see stars, 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 and that, that I could point around and know which one constellation was and another, and they were just amazed at that. Well, David, on the darkest night on Bethlehem Hill, could only see about 2,000 stars. There's approximately 100 million stars to 400 million stars in our galaxy, and there's approximately 3 billion galaxies estimated at, at a distance of 93 billion light years. That's what we know at the moment. So as far as our strongest telescopes have been able to see and peer into the edges of what we can see as our yard, it takes light one year to travel at 186,000 miles a second. And you can plot off that distance in a year. And the, the expanse of what we can see from our front porch, not ever having left the yard, is 93 billion miles. And there's stuff on every one of those planets. There's dazzling beauties that only God knows about that we'll never, ever see. Time will stop. And only God knew. And only God chuckled on the inside of himself thinking of just how awesome it was that no one ever saw because it's not for us, it's for him. But he, everything he gives us is to point to himself because that is your true inheritance. When the tribe of Levi didn't get an inheritance, they didn't get a farm like everybody else. God said, I'm your inheritance. I'm what I give you. Now, they might have thought that they were cheated, but really to have God is to have everything, to have everything. Because God saved the best for them, and it's the same for us. So when you, see, when you see that what he knew was nothing, but what God knew was everything, but yet it pointed to some beyond. What God knew that there was 100 billion stars just in our camp of stars, and that there's billions of, of camps of stars, all with zillions of stars, and all David could see was 2,000, and yet he reached his hand up into the sky and said, God, you're amazing. Do you see it? God was pleased with that. And in the back of God's mind, he was like, you have no idea. You have no idea. It will take everlasting life for us to know our God. And we'll be learning, continuously learning, just who this God that's our God is. It's not that we are going to instantly see Jesus and know it all. We couldn't. We are going to be learning that, that in a thousand years, in a million years, we, we didn't have the smallest inkling of the glory of our God. That the greatest thing that we ever imagined was only pointing to God's glory. And that is, that is truly amazing. So the first thing I wrote down is it's a testimony. Creation's a testimony, and it's a glorious testimony. It's a testimony that's glorious, okay? This is verse 2. Day unto day uttereth speech, 
and night unto night showeth knowledge. Okay? So it's been forever. It's continuous. It's a continuous testimony from the very first day of creation. When the sun and the moon started and ignited and started um, shining, from that moment on, every day, nobody can look at it and not say, that's amazing. That's glorious. It's tremendous. And it points to Jesus. So there hasn't been a moment that God has not been publishing his own glory. God doesn't hide it. He publishes it. He promotes it. It's what he wants us to do. That this congregation would be about God's glory, that that would be the highest point of your life, is that God would be glorified in your life when no one's watching. If he's glorified in a cave on an asteroid a billion miles from here, and it's diamond-studded glory, and God is pleased with it, then he can look into your private self when no one ever, ever sees and is pleased with you when you're simply giving him all glory for the things that are good in your life and trusting him for the things that you, that you need. That's God doing that. You are giving God glory in your private, personal self. And to give God glory publicly. That you privately adore God and then publicly adore God. And you publicly adore God having privately adored him, you're not a fraud. That's tremendous and powerful, and, and it promotes other people to do it. You have effect. There's an effect. So day unto day and night unto night showeth knowledge. It's continuous. So it's a glorious testimony, and it's a continuous one. This is verse 3. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Now, I'm preaching from the King James Version. And if you have a King James Bible, you know that a few words in every verse is in italics. Have you ever realized that? An italics word. What's happening is you can't take one language and immediately put it into another. Languages are different. You think in different ways. You say things in different ways. Any time that you have an italicized word in the King James Bible, it's just an indicator that those publishers were saying, what I've done is I've added an English word to make it make sense, but there's no Hebrew word behind it, okay? It was said a different way. So the two italicized words that I saw in this verse was there is, there is is in italics, and where is in italics. Let's look at the verse with no italics, okay? No speech, nor language. Their voice is not heard. That's what the Hebrew actually says. No speech, no language. That it's continuous and glorious, and absolutely silent, that there is nothing, there's nothing there to shout at you, but yet it's the loudest, clearest message. It's perfectly silent. Do you see? As David was on his, on his elbows looking up at the sky, he didn't know. He thought the stars actually rose in the east and set in the west, just like the sun does, because that's what it looks like. He doesn't realize that, it, that in order to go around our axis, it takes... 24 hours to go around, and it's 24,000 miles around the, the earth, we must be traveling at 1,000 miles an hour. That the earth is going around and around at 1,000 miles an hour at the equator. And that we're whirring through, but because there's no air, it's not like rolling down the window and having a big bunch of air come at you, as you're uh, knowing that you're going slow or fast in the car. There, we're whirring around, but it's not just that we're going around in a day. 
We are going around the entire sun, and this whole solar system is going around the sun in a year. That's 600,000 miles that it's going around just the Earth is around in a year. And the entire solar system is going around the Milky Way galaxy. And the whole galaxy is going around its, its bunch of galaxies. We are absolutely in full motion, continuous motion. And it's silent. All from here, from this vantage, it just looks like the sun comes up and the stars move. And the, every day the, the sky is slightly different. And in January you see a different sky. And in February you see a slightly different sky. And in May it's all different. If you looked up at the same time, you'd have a different side because we're going around the sun. All of this is in God's mind, but not David's mind. But David's still giving God glory as he goes through it. Verse 4, their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Do you see it? There's not a single person in any culture, in any time, that has not seen what God has given them in creation. There's nobody, there's no excuse, do you see? It's this idea that all people know enough to know that God is glorious that gives God the perfect will, uh, uh, ability to hold them guilty for what they know. This is from the book of Romans. This is chapter 1. One eighteen says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest to them. For God has showed it to them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that were made, even his eternal power and godhood, so that they are without excuse. That every person in every time, in every country, that this world has ever seen has looked out at the same creation and are without excuse. If, if there is this, it means there's a maker of this. If there is a pocket watch, there's a maker of that pocket watch. And for us to, to immediately say, no, I love volcanoes, I worship volcanoes, or I worship... Do not, do not think that this is an ancient type of thing. It, ecology is the religion of this country, with, without any doubt. It... This, this Mother Earth, I told you that I teach the, the Earth Science class. Do you know what horrified me? I did not even believe it. As I was preparing my notes, I was copying sentences from the book in my lecture, and it wasn't too long that I realized that this textbook of mine, this public school textbook, uses the word Earth as though it was a person. Earth is always capitalized, and it's never referred to as the Earth. It's always referred to as Earth. Earth does this, Earth does this, Earth has this, Earth doesn't have this. And I immediately thought that I had made a mistake because I would write the Earth and then looked and it was wrong and I would check it and then I was like, whoa, they're saying something here. They're making these little kids recognize that this is a goddess, that the Earth is our goddess, that the Earth is our mother, that it's who we worship. And there is no, there's no doubt, there's no doubt that people worship it. There's no doubt at all. These, these are current modern-day people who have nice granite countertop kitchens that worship the earth and call it earth and don't say the earth. Well, you know what? I went back and I changed every single one to the, and I took capital E and dropped it down to E because, daggone it, I'm not teaching a bunch of ninth graders that are, their mother goddess is the earth. 
The earth is a place that we live until it will all be melted with fervent heat. It is something that was given to us by a God who provides for his people, and all things were good. Now, they're not good anymore. The the air is not clean, and the water is not clean, and we get cancer from eating whatever comes in plastic bags. But that has nothing to do with the fact that God is beyond all things that he gives. And you have to realize that even Christians, this is one of our worst sins, we always love what God gives us, not recognizing that it's God that gives us. We must always stop and say, because you will worship it. You must always catch yourself. You'll catch yourself worshiping those things that God gives you, your health and your money and your family and all the things that God has given you richly to enjoy. And you would rather have those things than the God who gave you those things. That's why repentance is continuously necessary among Christians. You must repent. You must stop acting as the rest of the Gaia worshipers because that's that's what we have. This says man is without excuse. This is uh, the next verse, 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves wise, they became fools. So they didn't become fools because they professed themselves wise. They they became fools because they, they did not glorify the God who had already showed himself. They didn't glorify him. They don't acknowledge him. You cannot get a Ph.D. in a, in a university in South, Southern California if you say there is a God who created this world. They will not give it to you because they, they think that you are now going to abuse children and tell them fairy tales, and they're not going to give you a doctorate. Well, don't go there. Go somewhere else. Okay? Because just because who wants to go to UCLA anyway? Sorry, California. I know there are Christians here. And I pray for the rest of you. Fallen men will always suppress what they know is true. They know it and they put their fingers in their ears and they look the other way. That's what a fallen man does. That's what we all do. And that's why that renewal, renewing your mind daily by daily by daily is what is necessary among God's people. Okay, And we cannot take his glory so in verse 4, it says, In them he set a tabernacle for the sun. Okay? So goes into the dark and then comes out. Comes out of a tent bright in the morning and goes across the sky like a bridegroom strutting on his way to pick up his bride. Okay? And rejoices like a strong man running his race. That's verse 5. Okay? So when you see it that the sun is pictured as this glorious bride, bridegroom, who is a conqueror, who is a champion, who can do all things. And I think this transition, as we see next week, this verse 6 is a transition. He is going forth as from the end of the heaven into the circuit to the ends of it, and there's nothing hid from the heat thereof. So there's a picture here of the sun, which is the created thing that gives God glory, shining down and just pummeling you to where you're just so hot if you've ever tried to mow until you almost got heat stroke realizing that the very next verse is about God's word, which does the very same thing, that will shine onto you and shine into you and pierce all the way to the bones and the marrow and show you what you really like on the inside. Do you see it? So, so God's communication to us is through his creation, but you can't be saved by it. 
It's not enough. You can't look at your hand. You can look at your hand and realize there's a God, but you cannot look at your hand and realize what you must do to be right with that God. It requires God's word, and God's word is where God will communicate effectively to all humans, and it's his creation that prepares you for it. A proper heart of recognizing God as the giver of gifts is now the proper heart that when you look into, the, into his holy word, the Holy Spirit that wrote that word is in your ear saying, yes, it's true, this is true. It's truer than you are. Okay, so we'll look next week into that. Um, and then remember, let the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight as we look into this and just say, ah, now, there's not a one of you going out that's not going outside today. This is the prettiest day of the year. It's beautiful, and nobody works on Monday. I don't think so. So you have fun, but please worship the Lord as you go out today. Worship him. Worship him as bigger than what you even know, okay? All right, let's, uh, let's uh, pray together, and then we're going to sing. Thank you, Savior, for your great love to us, and I ask you that you would help us in all ways to please you and to be right in your sight, and we thank you. Uh, would you. Would you give us eyes to see how great you are? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.